most people in the workforce, the main complaint that they have is that they're not trusted enough. And the way that the lack of trust is usually expressed is by micromanagement. Trust. It's implicit in any work relationship, yet little understood. Hi, I'm Joe Lee from Brown University's School of Professional Studies. In this episode, we explore this mysterious bond with Joachim Kruger, a Brown University professor in psychology. Kruger identifies a connection between micromanagement styles and the bedrock assumption that workers must trust and ultimately follow management. What would happen, Kruger asks, if businesses reverse that trend by requiring managers to trust their workers? What tools would they need, and how might it create a positive feedback cycle where everybody wins? Trust is one of these social concepts that we know in everyday life, and uh, we think it's a good thing, and it is. Um, but it makes us vulnerable because we have to pay something forward. And it could be money, it could be other material goods that we give to somebody else or to an organization. We hope and we think and we expect that they will reciprocate so that we end up in a win-win type of situation. But at the time when we invest, when we give, we're vulnerable because we may be betrayed because there's no hard incentive for the other party to reciprocate. There is no contract. So we have to rely or trust that they will do the right thing, that they will honor the norm of reciprocity. If I give to you and it multiplies in your hands, then you should give me some back. And then we can continue over time to mutual benefit. But at that moment, I'm vulnerable because you might just walk away. So it could be money, material goods of some sort, or it could be information. We can trust people with sensitive information. I can trust you with sensitive information about myself that I disclose, and then I trust that you will keep it to yourself and not give it to a third person, somebody, Laura, sitting over there. Um, and um, if that works well, it builds emotional capital. Once it, once it goes, once it goes into motion, there's a good chance it will continue. So the first step of taking this leap of trust is the most difficult and most critical. So do people intuitively understand trust or are there common misunderstandings? Yes and no. They understand it in a way and the folk notion of trust has a lot of validity, but often people confuse it with um, similar terms like hope or faith or just an expectation that something will work so I can have confidence that a mechanical device will work, that my computer will work. But that's not what we mean when we say interpersonal trust. Interpersonal trust means this moment of vulnerability, paying forward and then expecting that it will be honored. And some uh, two common misunderstandings that I see all the time is that uh, people are egocentric in their outlook. And they ask first and foremost, what's in it for me? And wouldn't it be nice if other people trusted me or if I could trust other people? And they don't think through the contingencies of what factors are in play that may make trust worthiness more or less likely. And uh, another common misunderstanding is that people think that there are some excellent cues that tell them whether another person is trustworthy or not. And if they only knew those cues, everything would be fine. 
And that's often how students come into class. So professor, tell me, what are those cues? How do I know if this other person whom I meet for the first time and I want to have a, um, an exchange relationship with, what do I, should, should I look for? So I know they're trustworthy or not. There are some cues, but they tend to be very weak. And some cues that people look for, um, facial characteristics uh, really do nothing. So people tend to think if somebody looks nice and attractive and pleasant and smarts a lot, they're trustworthy. And uh, that's not quite right. What advice do you have for business leaders to nurture a culture of trust, given this kind of murkiness that it lives in? I advise them to get over their egocentrism uh, to some extent. We're all egocentric, and there's some good reasons for it, uh, but it also creates some blind spots. So when business leaders look at the issue of trust, and then if they look for into a class or the professional literature, they tend to ask invariably, why is it that my, the people who work for me or with me uh, trust me more? What can I do that they trust me more? I want to be trusted more. What can we do about that? And they rarely ask um, about their own trust, how much trust they give, how much trust they extend to the workforce. And we know that one, if there is a relationship that's ongoing over time with repeated interactions, uh, what you want to get into is a positive feedback loop, a virtuous cycle of building trust and nurturing it and uh, to everybody's benefit. So one thing I would advise business leaders to trust more themselves that hire well and then let people do their job and get out of the way. Um, that, that's hard for some business leaders because they have their view on the expectation of betrayal. And of course, they have to remain mindful, but uh, they need to understand that um, most people in the workforce the main complaint that they have is that they're not trusted enough. And the way that's the lack of trust is usually expressed is by micromanagement. So I do my job as a worker, and then the boss comes in and checks everything and does so repeatedly. And that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel trusted and undermines my efforts. So I want to ask you one more question. Um, in your psychological perspectives course, I'm wondering if the way it meshes with, say, for example, the economics class that talks about game theory and how you can manipulate um, um, or make decisions given sort of a larger scenario, if perhaps these, I'm wondering how um, someone who is in our program is able to marry that kind of curriculum with a greater understanding of trust to actually be that kind of manager. Is it kind of a double skill set that they're getting out of here, both sort of a very sort of hard science and a soft science approach to better equip them to trust? That's a good way of, of, of putting it. There are different kinds of skills, two, maybe more. Uh, the economic analysis is very much um, interested in an algorithmic approach. And algorithmic approaches, mathematical approaches, work very well when you have clear assumptions of what goes into the mix. And then you can derive mathematically the best solution. And the trust dilemma can also be expressed as an economic game. And that's an example. What students will learn is that the examples, situations like trust, where the classical economic solution is not desirable, and we see immediately that it can't work. 
So if you come in as a classic game theorist and you look at the trust situation as I described it, um, you will conclude that a rational person will never trust because the trustee, the other person who would be entrusted with money or secrets or whatever, has no real, in quotation marks, incentive to reciprocate, no monetary material incentive. And the basic assumption of economics makes two basic assumptions. One is that, um, that actors, agents are rational and that they cannot and will not and need not take the perspective of other people. So if you take a psychological or social perspective, this becomes highly relevant. Um, and there are certain tools we have, heuristic tools to help us make some progress in taking the, the perspective of others, but it will never be a perfectly valid insight because other people are not exactly like us and we never know everything about them and there are certain incentives they have that they might want to betray us. So we need to have heuristics to break into this uncertainty um, and a, um, a purely algorithmic mathematical model will not be enough. But it's not really in our position. It's like, as you said, it's complementary. These, under certain well-defined, in certain well-defined situations, the mathematical anal analysis is, is very useful and it must be mastered by the students. But then they have to step into a, a social place where uh, the uncertainty is greater and we have heuristics for them to deal with that. Professor of Psychology Joachim Kruger is a faculty member in the Brown University Executive Master in Science and Technology Leadership Program. To join our conversation, visit our website at brown.edu slash professional and follow us on Twitter at brown underscore SPS. Thank you for listening.